Welcome to Interpod, the global voices of Pride podcast powered by Interpride, where the world comes together for the LGBTQIA community. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. The United States has been experiencing a record number of attacks against the LGBTQIA community politically. And what I mean by that is that this year alone, in 2023, there have been over 400 anti-LGBTQIA bills either being proposed or passed. This episode is part of a special series in which we interview LGBTQIA activists during San Francisco Pride's inaugural Human Rights Summit who touch on what's happening in their state. It's been challenging and difficult for LGBTQIA people in Florida because of the bills that have recently been passed, such as the Don't Say Gay Bill. Here's Nathan Broomer, who is a board member for Equality Florida. Nathan goes into the details of what's happening in Florida and how it's affecting the LGBTQIA community. Yeah, Florida's history, um, well, up until the last couple of years, um, was pretty positive. Equality Florida as an organization came to be nearly three decades ago, and over the 25-plus or so history uh, years in our history, we're able to fight back every anti-LGBTQ bill that came forward and saw a number of, of supportive bills and local human rights ordinances and other measures move through. Um, in fact, the most co-sponsored bill ever proffered in our state legislature was the Florida Competitive Workforce Act, a state equivalent to the Equality Act. Um, for a decade, we made great progress in hopes that that would pass and that changed um, really three years ago. There was a single bill that passed under the uh, notion that it was not an anti-LGBTQ bill, but it was focused on parental rights, which we know has now shifted in the narrative quite a bit. Um, and last year, we saw a handful of anti-LGBTQ bills and anti-trans bills um, proposed. Most got knocked down, but we had different outcomes in our elections. And this year, with a supermajority held by Republicans, we saw a record-breaking number of anti-LGBTQ uh, and anti-trans bills come forward. I wish we were in a different place in Florida, and we're just frankly not right now. Um, we're dealing with right now a number of, of new laws that have all come into place. They've all been signed. Um, some were enacted immediately upon signing. A good number will become um, law July 1st. And we've seen, though, some positive headway. I want to reference to some recent court decisions that I think give us a glimmer of hope. Um, but as an attorney and as a lifetime advocate and as a trans Floridian navigating what this all means right now, for the most part, you know, we're in a holding pattern around a number of things, even as we see the the high points and, and the good news. Um, I, I'll give you a quick highlight about what we saw that's already in place and, um, and then bring you up to date on the decisions, including a decision that came in yesterday. Um, and it, it does bode well, uh, but I will say, unfortunately, we did see an, an expansion law for the don't say LGBTQ law that was put forward last year that expands all the harms from that very ambiguous and vague law, adding new harms about uh, regarding pronouns and, and expanded book banning and a whole lot more. 
A lot of that is being seen through administrative rulemaking with the Florida Department of Education. A lot of the authority and and um, uh, procedural, you know, ramifications. You know, typically what local school districts used to be able to navigate now has been taken back to the state level, um, and more of that power has been now put forward through this expansion. Unfortunately, I think the the thing right now that our community is is really battling with is the gender affirming care ban, which was a sweeping legislation that overruled parents' rights to make healthcare decisions for their children, created a felony penalty for physicians who were prescribing gender affirming care to minors, and it restricts our access as transgender adults in ways that I don't, um, well, we're still navigating what that means, but I will give you the two highlights. I will say the rulemaking has been a, another place where we've really been battling and seeing local community members show out and force hundreds and hundreds of folks. I was, um, little little known fact, while we, we did have a lot of backwards um, momentum, we did have a statewide elected in Florida for a number of years. I was fortunate to work with her. Nikki Freed came in as our commissioner of agriculture. That's an elected position, but it's a very big uh, statewide agency, just second in size and roles and responsibilities behind the office of the governor. Um, was fortunate and and honored to be appointed as the first statewide appointed LGBTQ liaison who is trans in our state. And we saw a lot of great progress happen. Um, but unfortunately, now where we're at, even had um, little known fact, uh, I had a state health care policy and did, in fact, receive quite affirming gender care for a couple of years. Um, but that in the moment is is not in place. The decision that came yesterday on the heels of the decision that came out of Wyoming that I think many folks are familiar with basically took the rulemaking that was done around Medicaid that denied a payment for both gender affirming care for youth and adults and turned it upside down. And they said it's discriminatory, it's non-constitutional, and we're done with it. Um, that decision is really good news and comes on the heels of a second case right now um, that's a challenge against our Florida Surgeon General, um, Dr. Uh, Latipo. We also had a decision on June 6th. That was a preliminary injunction, which held that that law and the rulemaking are both unconstitutional. And I would say um, another glimmer of hope, not that many of you probably want to read an 80-page decision out of Wyoming or a 40-page decision out of Florida, but there are some good nuggets in there. One of which I think the most exciting I appreciate is a very large bolded um, title that will become, I think, an important part of the discussion as we move forward. The gender identity is real. And I realize for this audience that might not seem like something significant, but when the state has asserted um, that it's not, and the judge quite passionately, Judge Hinkle in this case, called out the elephant in the room in, in a very passionate way, um, I'm hopeful for the decision that's going to come in this case, and it may come in, in days or weeks, um, but we wait. In the meantime, um, and we'll talk about this a little bit, um, unfortunately, our access to care is all but uh, on hold for many of us here in Florida, and we wait for further administrative rulemaking. I just got an update today before I jumped on this call. We're having 
uh, a joint rulemaking committee tomorrow. And one of the ways the state of Florida is looking at using that administrative power is through the um, implementation of informed consent forms. And when they turn our care back on before beginning or continuing hormone replacement therapy, what the state is, is hoping uh, to put forward, and we will fight like hell to prevent it, is a requirement that we undergo a thorough, quote, psychological and social emotional evaluation performed by a Florida licensed and board certified uh, psychiatrist or psychologist before our prescribing physician can continue that treatment or start it. Um, that's a huge burden and gatekeeping, and you may or may not know this, but very few attorneys and very few physicians are board certified. Um, but we're in the moment right now, so the timing for this panel, um, these updates are are happening as we go. The last um, most significant anti-trans law that we're also confronting uh, is the bathroom bill. And it's it's a policy that creates a system, a harmful system, and one that I fear we've already seen results will increase confrontations and, and potential for violence against trans and non-binary people. There are no enforcement guidelines. It, it works against every notion around public safety and is creating environments for abuse and unfortunately harassment. Um, the anti-drag law is also in place as well as an additional license to discriminate in healthcare. And we're seeing that um, is really given broad license to refuse care under the auspices that it's around the procedure and not the person. Um, but we're already seeing that unfortunately um, being used beyond really the intentions as discussed in, in session. And we also have had a number of attacks on higher education. All of those together, and I really am only highlighting about six, all came through this year and there are there are more unfortunately. So we are hearing, you know, the the current landscape of the anti-trans, anti-LGBTQIA plus efforts. But how are we dealing with this? How are we responding? I'm hearing a lot of hope in your voices, but uh maybe not even hope, but you we're not going down without a fight. Yeah, no, um indeed. I I think um in Florida we have seen a remarkably aggressive misinformation campaign. And I guess to borrow from uh, a quote earlier I referenced for from Judge Hinkle's injunction um, for our gender-affirming care ban, I mean, we are dealing with both DeSantis and Trump, um, you know, pushing forward with presidential campaigns and finding as many moments as they can um, to lean in on on the rhetoric and on the misinformation. So aside from, um, I think, a lot of work in the movement, seeing trans folks in included and in leadership positions, a part of strategic policy um, strategies, you know, we're, we've been playing, you know, shorthanded and coming from behind for years, frankly. And, um, you know, we We've got to find ways to address that and do so aggressively. I'm I'm proud of what our organization is doing at Equality Florida in partnership with many national organizations and uh, local organizations. A lot of um, specifically Black, trans, uh, queer, non-binary local organizations are forming everywhere. Uh, we're very much in an education uh, mindset as well as an advocacy mindset moving forward. For us, um, I didn't even 
there were more bills that passed, and we also saw an anti-trans uh, sports ban go in place last year. That litigation is still pending. But we we did win some. We went into this legislative session and saw how long um, the list of bills to fight. We were really looking at at two dozen or so bills. Uh, there were compromises made. There were discussions. There were you know hundreds and hundreds of citizen advocates that showed up and met with folks. Frankly, there were a lot of Republicans that wouldn't take meetings from constituents. So we we didn't make nearly as much movement as we hoped. But at every committee hearing. We had folks on the record, and so we we chose to educate, mobilize, and push back every chance we could. Um, we chose to, you know, really force the questions in those committee hearings, and and frankly, it set the record to really hear intentional discriminatory intent at every turn. Um, and you know, we did ultimately have some wins. The original bathroom ban in Florida was for all public restrooms. That got removed. We also had a birth certificate. Um, the procedure and the amendment procedure was included as a part of the gender affirming care ban. We got that withdrawn. I, I, I think we had concerns about where administrative procedures might go, but a lot of our community members get their news from social media. And I think there was so much going on nationally and even just within the boundaries of the state of Florida Folks aren't aware of what passed and what didn't. And I gave you the highlight. These bills are huge. The plaintiffs in these litigation, um, what's being developed and what's currently being litigated are attacking sometimes just one or two sections of some of these new laws because they're giant omnibus kind of bills. And it will take a moment. So we are holding town halls. Other organizations are holding town halls. And it will take in those meetings to go through the details and handle the questions that grandparents are asking because their nine-year-old trans grandson is scared to come into our state to go to Disney World with them. Like we want to answer all those questions and we've had town halls go two or three hours trying to address that, but it is building hope and minimizing the fear and anxiety. Um, and frankly, we're also trying to deal with, you know, what is a mental health crisis as much as a healthcare crisis because folks um, are scared and we're sharing resources. Uh, we're having to figure out where it's safe for us to go. There's an app called Refuge Restrooms that's been helpful that folks have shared. We have folks that don't have access to care because of lack of finances. So we're grateful for the partnership with Campaign for Southern Equality to provide a small grant to be able to access health care. Um, you know, and honestly, we're also celebrating pride. So Equality Florida has been at every pride mobilization we heard. There might be protesters, but honestly, to date, I'll tell you, at most of our prides across the state of Florida, we've been bigger and better, and uh, performances have been going on, and we, we haven't seen what we had thought would be a much stronger um, show of, of resistance from the folks looking to cancel pride. We've been celebrating. So those are some of the ways I think we're, we're working in community, and we're educating voters. <laughs> because ultimately we're not gonna turn that around in the state of Florida unless we improve turnout and we elect folks who are equality minded and are going to start taking care of our community's needs. How do, how do we engage? How do we activate? How do we help? How do we make an impact other than to advocate? Is there anything specific I'm hearing, and especially around the politics or the political side? You know, we have traditionally said to focus our efforts 
on the movable middle. And we talked years ago and we did research into the messaging that works, right? The, the idea that if we don't know someone who is LGB or we don't know someone who's trans, it's a little hard to get into the fight, right? And, you know, the experts have told us how to, how to talk about this. And we got away from, I think, some of that. We have more personal relationships the Williams Institute has come out with great research updated, you know, year over year about how many folks actually know what our lives are like, um, you know, what are our experiences and, and to see us being visible, um, you know, Florida has got the fourth largest LGBTQ population in the country and the second largest trans population, at least we did until this year. I don't know when the numbers come out, when we're talking about what you all could do, um, the reality is that a whole lot of folks I care about are choosing to leave. Uh, families with young trans kiddos are leaving. Um, I have a lot of friends who retired to Florida um, who are, are trans folks and they're amazing. And, you know, they went back north where there was, you know, just more positivity. And and I get that. And I, I don't, you know, everyone has to make a personal decision for what they will do. But many of us are staying in states like Florida and doing what we can. Um, and so I would say what I know for folks who are, are moving to certain areas, getting healthcare is still hard. The wait lists are getting longer because folks from multiple states are moving to the, the you know some of the major metropolitan areas that have had gender affirming care. Um, and so there are resources that will be needed when folks come, they may come to you all. Um, but frankly, you know, before we get to the political ramifications, I honestly would be remiss to not say send your resources to Florida. We are finding creative partnerships to get healthcare to work here. We're seeing folks like Plume decide to put doctors on the ground because the way our law reads, we need that initial appointment with an MD or a DO in the room to provide informed consent. And then at least for now, until we know how telehealth goes, we have to stay up to date on that, right? We can continue to provide care. Um, but we're seeing, you know, some surgeons choose to to leave the state. Um, but we we need resources. Uh, what I mentioned earlier, the campaign for Southern Equality is putting together a fund to help support people, and that, that resource may be providers or it, it may be financial. Um, but we've got to hold our elect our elected officials accountable. I mean, there were a lot of Republicans. You've probably seen the reports come out of Florida. They didn't want to be lockstep with DeSantis on what his agenda was, but they didn't vote against it. And the conversations we have across all communities, you know, we used to meet folks where they were, even if they weren't going to vote with us on our issues. We have to keep doing that as hard as that is. Um, and and if they're not going to stand up and lead with courage, then we vote them out and we have to get behind the candidates that um will continue to do the work. So mobilizing those resources, it takes a lot of people, it takes a lot of volunteer hours, and it takes a lot of money to do that. But collectively as a nation, we have to recognize the moment we're in. I think some states are being impacted more greatly than others, and where we can partner and support one another, I, I hope we do that. There are, I could list so many great organizations that we've partnered with, we're, we're continuing to explore new partnerships and we have to, I think, continue to do that. Um, and we can't spend all of our time and energy combating all the misinformation out there. It has to be strategic because 
Uh, sometimes those that are, are loudest and get you know the message out there first tend to win that argument. So I still think some of those folks are technically in the middle, even though I've watched them ship. Um, I had a really tough conversation with the gentleman when I was working for the state of Florida in Tallahassee after a day of legislating. And he didn't know who I was. And he sat next to me watching sports at the end of the day and basically said that, you know, he didn't agree with this marriage equality. He kept apologizing. He's like, I don't know your beliefs, but I'm a Christian man. I'm a godly man. That after my father died and I realized what that moment was like, I can't imagine anybody dying without somebody there with them. And I, I can't agree with, you know, the marriage equality, but I sure wouldn't want anybody who's LGBTQ to die alone. Now, that doesn't sound like a big win, but it was a moment where we at least could come together and agree at some moments in our lives that we have to, you know, work on that together. Um, who knows if the game was longer, where else the conversation would have gone. Um, but he and I were absolutely not politically um, aligned in any way. And that was one small place where we could at least agree. And I hope we find more moments like that with folks on both sides of the aisle. Thank you so much for joining us for Interpride. If you'd like to hear more episodes, you can head to interpride.org. There you can also find more information about our upcoming World Conference that's happening in October. It's coming up very fast and very quickly, so we hope to see you there in sunny San Diego. San Francisco Pride is a proud member of Interpride. If your organization is not a member of San Francisco Pride and you're interested, you can also head to interpride.org for more information there. This is Interpride, the global voices of Pride podcast powered by Interpride, where the world comes together for the LGBTQIA community. 